it's time for school days. Hope for moms and dads of school-age kids. I tell parents, you're like a training wheel on a bike. Your job isn't to make the bike move. Your job is to keep the bike upright. Those of us who are the true educators, we really want to be given the opportunity to educate the whole child. We can get free college degrees based on all of the opportunities that are out here and available to our students. Oftentimes, as parents, I think we want to protect our kids. But I think one of the greatest gifts we can give them is allowing them to experience adversity. Yeah. Here's your host, Danita Bailey. Well, welcome to School Days, Help for Moms and Dads of School-Aged Kids. I'm Danita Bailey. Studies show that knowledge of a second language increases problem-solving abilities, raises academic achievement, improves communication skills, and expands career opportunities. Dual language programs have become more popular as school districts and parents have seen the value in their children acquiring another language, but bilingual education is a topic that sparks fierce debate. When it comes to students whose native language isn't English, it seems everyone has an opinion about whether these students deserve to receive instruction in the language they most understand. So today we'll talk about both bilingual and dual language programs with our experts and give you information about why you might want to consider them for your child. Also from time to time, I'll ask a parent to join me in the co-host seat and that's what I've done today. So sitting with me today is Amanda Ibarra. Hi, Amanda. Hi. Yeah. I'm so happy to be with you guys today. So let me tell you a little bit about Amanda. Amanda is a mother of three. She has um, boys that are age 10, 7, and 5. She's also a photography business owner. I've seen her stuff. She's quite talented. And uh, she's a full-time college student working to earn her bachelor's degree in psychology. And she hosts her own podcast entitled 30-something Mom in College. There she ser- shares humorous stories about her struggle to balance her photography business, her school load, and motherhood. So thanks for coming on with me today. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Uh, true story. We met at Fitness Connection. We did. We met at, fit- <laughs> we met at the gym. Yes. We <laughs> met at the gym. And then we realized we both had our boys in um, the, the school that they're in. That, well, not the same school, but you, you guys have since moved. But yes. it's the same school district. So we had our kids in a bilingual program as well. So kind of why did you think that that was a good idea and something that you wanted for your kids? So a little bit of backstory. My grandparents are actually from Mexico. They're from Guadalajara. And they crossed the Rio Grande with the hope that they could come to America and have a better future for their children. So when they came here, they wanted to be as American as possible. So they actually discouraged their children from speaking Spanish. They Mm -hmm. only spoke English. So I grew up not knowing Spanish. And when I married my husband, who is fluent in Spanish, I was like, man, I just, I love our heritage. I want our boys to learn Spanish. And I had always heard that being a part of an immersion program was one of the best ways that a child who came from a home that wasn't fluent in Spanish could learn Spanish. Mm -hmm. So that's why we joined International Leadership of Texas. All right. Well, I'm so glad you're here with me today. Thank you for coming. Um, And we always want to say that before um, it takes a before we go any further, it does take a village. If you have a great parenting tip or nugget of advice, share it with your parent friends. Facebook it, Instagram it, tweet it, link it in and add the hashtag school day show and hashtag I am school days. And also, we want you guys to be a part of the show. If you have any questions or comments, please give us a call at 214 431-5062 or find us live on Facebook 
at Noggin Foundation, and you can drop us a question there. Without any further ado, let's introduce our guest. And let me just stop and just say this for a second. Real talk. I just got bifocals. <laughs> and I'm trying to read, and I am on the struggle bus. I'm trying bus. to look at Amanda. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> I'm like, oh, thank God I kind of know this stuff well because I can't really read. <laughs> I, le- I legit just got them yesterday. So th- the lady was like, it's going to take like two weeks w- before your eyes can adjust and know where to look in the glasses. So anyway, if I'm struggling today, that's why. <laughs> okay, so we did say we were going to introduce our guest. We yes. can start with our first. So this is Debbie Strand, and Debbie has 16 years of teaching experience in bilingual and ESL settings in different school districts across the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. She was an assistant principal for four years and has been serving in her current role as ELL and dual language specialist in Mansfield Independent School District for two two years. So welcome, Debbie. Thanks. Uh, right. Excited to be here. And Ana Minos has been a bilingual educator for 19 years in Mansfield ISD and DIS- DISD, Dallas Independent School District combined. She has taught grades PK through sixth grade and has had the privilege to be the dual language specialist for Mansfield Independent School District. She's developed a dual language curriculum that aligns with the Texas Essential Knowledge and skills for all core subjects in English and Spanish for pre-K through fourth grade. Anna is a mother of three simultaneous bilingual learners and a wife of 20 years to a sequential bilingual learner. Now, what's that? What's uh, a sequen- it's, a, it's a mouthful there, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> so sequential learners are those students or those people, uh, persons that are learning both languages simultaneously. And my husband is sequential because he learned English first and then Spanish oh. through marriage. So it's. Oh. Oh. Ah, we yeah. were trying to Google that to figure out what it was. <laughs> right, we were like, so there's, there's a difference. So most of our students now coming into Texas, school districts are simultaneous. They're learning both languages at the same, the same time. time. When the. And I'm going into a little bit. But. Um, it's okay. Back when I started teaching 19 years ago, we had the sequential learners in our district or in our classrooms, which were students who had just Spanish, no English at all whatsoever, and so they had to sequentially learn the second language. Ah, okay. Okay. So, got it. I feel smarter already. I know. Okay, well, let's just jump right in. Um, We want to know a little bit of kind of the history in our country about bilingual education. So, when was bilingual education introduced and why was it? Why did, why did we think it was important to do that? So the first um, federal legislation regarding bilingual education was um, mandated in 1968, so the late 60s, um, and it was the, um, the Bilingual Education Act, and uh, um, students were designated as limited English-speaking ability at that time, um, and that was really just the first re- legislation that recognized the, the, the needs of L's, and we call them L's English learners. Oh, okay. English language is it E-L-L? It used or to be is E-L-L, it, and now L? we've really shortened it just to E-L. Okay, gotcha. Um, what, um, so just as far as Texas, there's only four states that require bilingual education. I was really shocked by yes. this. Yes, yes. Yeah, so Texas was actually kind of a pioneer in developing mm-hmm. bilingual education and making it a mandate. So kind of what is the history here where we are? 
So actually in Texas, um, Laredo United Consolidated School District launched their first bilingual program in 1964. So that was before the federal mandate. Oh, okay. And then in Texas, the um, Bilingual Education and Training Act um, rolled out in 1973. And that was uh, the law that said that if you're enrolling 20 or more L's, you were required to provide bilingual education. Okay. Yeah. Um, so what are the bilingual education requirements in Texas? And I know you kind of just covered that a little bit, but what are they? Well, in, in Texas itself, we have, um, there's an education code, mm-hmm. uh, TAC 89 uh, is what we have to follow. And this are, that's the law that protects all of our English language learners. Okay. You can find that in TEA, Texas Education Agency website. Um, and then there's the Title II Public Education I guess the basic thing that for parents to know is that um, bilingual education is kindergarten through elementary grades, Mm -hmm. uh, and it could be depending on which um, district and how they're set up. In Mansfield, ours is pre-K-4, and then we do have a fifth and sixth grade intermediate campus that has a bilingual program as well. and it could be pre-K through fourth grade, pre-K through eighth grade, just depending on how it's all set up. Bilingual education, uh, then we have also transitional language instruction past elementary grade level. But again, it depends on the uh, district and how they're all um, set up and clustered. Right. And it is, a, it was, a, as I was researching, it's a little complicated. Like it's there's ESL and then there's bilingual and there's mm-hmm. dual language and they all and then ca- there are they waivers. fall together. There's you can submit waivers if you don't have the staff or the personnel to, you know, so. The schools can submit waivers? Yeah, or districts. The, okay. Districts. Wow. Submit waivers. Um for instance, if you have a group of um, Vietnamese-speaking students, we wouldn't necessarily be able to provide bilingual education for those students, even though there's the number that would require that. And so we can submit a waiver for those students if we okay. can't find the personnel. And so, so, so what is it? Sorry, no, go ahead. No. I was just going to say, so what would a school district do if you did have a surplus of, of Vietnamese students? How would we teach them? Well, we would need the teachers okay. and certify teachers that are bilingual in that language. Okay. And that's where we come up with... Um, issues i guess in the bilingual education world because we have to have the certified highly qualified certified teachers to serve those students in that particular language so the law says that we have to have if you have more than 20 students Mm -hmm. then we have to provide this bilingual program but if we don't have that teacher serving able to serve then we have to um, submit a waiver to the agency, TEA, um, that would allow us to put them then in ESL, which is English as a second language. So we still support second language acquisition. It's just not through the bilingual, which that's the best practice would be serving them through their native mother language. Okay. Right. Okay. And so let's let's go there. Uh, let's go there. <laughs> <laughs> so there is so much controversy about teaching kids in their native language. Kind of tell us a bit, little bit about why people are um, adamant about kids not getting education and instruction in their own language and why it's not mandated across the United States. Uh Uh-oh, they're smiling. (laughs) You may not be able to see them if you're on Facebook Live, but... (laughs) Do you know what's funny is we are so fortunate to work in Mansfield and in Texas where bilingual education is not just a requirement, but it's valued. It's embraced. It's embraced. Mm -hmm. And even the the TEKS that have come out in 2017, I believe, the revised TEKS, the language has changed um, to acknowledge and support and promote that language acquisition piece. So 
I honestly can't speak to the controversy because we simply just we we don't live there. Mm-hmm. Um, we live in our and especially in Mansfield, our community is um, holds such value to bilingualism and biliteracy and biculturalism that we don't we don't hear or know about that controversy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I was I I think I've mentioned this on another show before that I. Um, had an encounter on an app called yes. Nextdoor. Did I talk about this on Facebook you know, as well? I think you spoke directly to me about it. Oh, did I? We were talking about how, go ahead, I'll let you tell your story. Well, <laughs> a, a woman was um, filling out an application for the school district and she was complaining that it wasn't in her native language. It was some sort of something with um, human resources. And basically, uh, they attacked her and said, you know, you, you know, you, you, this shouldn't be something that we have to provide for you. You know, you're in America. This is the, the, um, you know, the, this is the standard language for our country. And they just attacked her. And it was, um, it was unfortunate. They bullied her. Um, these adults bullied her about not being strong in the language of our city. Um, and I think that that's just some of the controversy that's, uh, they're just saying, well, you're here now. And so you need to be like us and assimilate. I think as an individual, I think we've both had those sorts of conversations or we've heard of those conversations. Um, what I think is really beautiful though, is as districts, as communities embrace bilingualism, that that, uh, mentality, if you will, those thoughts, um, you they don't fly in the face of success mm-hmm. and in the face of data where students who are bilingual are more successful, um, perform better, are, you know, hireable, more hireable. That's not the word I'm looking for. <laughs> <laughs> we got it. We understand. You understand what I say. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that, uh, I think that the tides are changing, if you will. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. I believe that this generation of students that are enrolled in programs like this right now, we're going to see such a huge change over the next few years and how people respond to someone like the lady in your neighborhood. Mm -hmm. I I think that we'll see that eventually shift out as long as Texas and several other states maintain what they have going right now. Maintain and maybe some more can add the mandate. We actually have some some states in the United States that prohibit bilingual education. Right. They don't. There's other states that um, they have a language that is English only Mm -hmm. as a state. We don't have that here in Texas. Mm -hmm. Um, But I was going to say that um, programs like yours, right, in this type of um, venue allows for parents to be educated and to know that programs like the ones that we have, and I can speak obviously for Mansfield, allows our students to see the cultural pieces through a different lens. And that will allow then for things like this and comments to at one point in the near future to stop Mm -hmm. and for people to uh, educate others and see that that there's value in having differences yeah um and and also you know learning a different language Mm -hmm. there's value in that and then the cultural pieces comes into place with that with our program so Mm -hmm. yeah and as our lives become more global i mean you think about social media and just how we have information at our hand this idea of students having cultural competency um, and bilingualism, they become so much more marketable. And right. really yes. and truly, gone are the days where we don't really have the, the influence or the impact of other communities and other countries and other um, continents. It's, it's all right at hand. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so developing that in students really is going to impact so our world important. positively. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. 
So I mentioned that, that you know there's all these different terms and they're kind of complicated and they all kind of merge together. So what is ESL instruction? So ESL stands for English as a Second Language. And when students, um, do you want me to talk about the different kinds of programs? Yeah, sure. That was going to be my <laughs> very next question. Your very next question. So um, <laughs> let me just take you through. So when a student enrolls in a district, um, there are some Texas uh, papers that we have them fill out. Yes. And one of them is the home language survey. So when a student presents at a campus to enroll, um, that's one of the first documents that they fill out. And that's a question of, you know, what language does your child speak mostly at home? Which, which language is mostly spoken by everyone at home? And if there's anything other than English, English, then that triggers, um, an assessment, um, an oral language assessment. And we just moved as a state to one. We used to have, be able to choose off of a, Every a approved list, but now we're all using the same oral language assessment. And so those language assessments determine whether a child um, will be able to receive services through ESL. Um, and obviously the dual language and the bilingual education is a part of that. But for a student, let's say, that has a home language of French, um, they we wouldn't have a French bilingual uh, in Mansfield at least we wouldn't have a, a French bilingual class or a school and so um, that student would be offered services through ESL and we so those sec those second language acquisition st um, strategies strategies are in the classroom our teachers are ESL certified mm -hmm. so then all teachers or certain we, they're teachers? highly encouraged okay um, we have to if our student is, if a ESL student is going into a classroom, we have to ensure that that teacher is ESL certified. Mm -hmm. If right. not, then we have to place them in another classroom where there is an ESL certified teacher. Okay. Um, our campuses are um, highly encouraged that our teachers are ESL certified. And for the most part in the elementary world, you will find, you find that, that most teachers now that are coming out through the university, um, they are being certified through ESL because mm. of the populations they were serving. Right. Mm -hmm. um, it's just a safety net that most universities are sending their, their um, certified teachers already with that. Well, if you had a candidate that was and a candidate that wasn't, you would go with mm. the candidate, you know, if all things right. were equal. Good to know out there, teachers. Yeah, you would okay. absolutely mm -hmm. want that certification. So then if the students speak Spanish in their home language survey and we assess and they we see that they're not dominant in English, then we, do we can offer bilingual services then in this dual language programs that we have. Okay. Um, and they parents always have the option, and that's when we have um, ELL specialists in Mansfield. We have ELL specialists in every campus that educate those parents to make sure that they are making the best decision for their student. So we give them then the options to either go into a ESL program, bilingual obviously is the priority where we would, would want to serve a student who speaks Spanish at home. Um, but then the parent can always choose to put them in an ESL program. Uh, classroom as well so let's help the uh, listeners make a distinction so the ESL is instruction in English yes. correct right. and All then bilingual is instruction in it's both English and Spanish yes yes okay, okay. Yes. Yes. yes so in an ESL classroom it will not look any different than no. a, than a non-ESL classroom the instructions right. the same the materials the resources will generally be the same um, but that teacher has um, a bigger toolbox yes. um, okay. to to implement those uh, second language acquisition strategies to you know, boost the listening and the speaking mm -hmm. and the reading and the writing and for the, that second language learner. And then the comprehension input is different for mm -hmm. an ESL student, obviously. Mm -hmm. So there has to be different strategies for that teacher to teach vocabulary or certain things that uh, might not be in the same uh, cultural 
piece for that right. student. So there's different things that as a teacher, um, our teachers are amazing. Um, you have to have different tools to ensure that there's comprehension at all times. And I was talking to my husband, he teaches eighth grade and he's a math teacher. And he, I guess, is ESL certified mm -hmm. because he was telling me about the different strategies that he has. Like you can use gestures sure. and uh, visual aids, simplified English, repeating instructions. And yes. he was saying that these are really just strategies that good teachers should Absolutely. use anyway. What we say about that is our those strategies are good for all students, but they are essential mm -hmm. for our second language learners. Yes. And mm -hmm. teachers um, who really utilize those practices well are providing multiple entry points for their students. So they're providing lots of opportunity for that oral language, that listening and speaking before students are ever required to do that heavy writing um, in, in a content area. Right. We're speaking to uh, Debbie Strand and Ana Munoz from Mansfield ISD. They are um, dual language and bilingual specialists. If you have any questions, please give us a call at 214-431-5062. Students that are English language learners, uh, or we also say LEP, language, uh, limited English proficiency, right? Are they required to have a 504 or IEP to rece receive services? No. No. Okay. So we don't view limited English proficiency as uh, a, disab a disability or a disabling condition. Um, they may have a 504. So we have students, RLs, um, who have dyslexia. For example, mm. and they would they would have a 504. Um, we do have L's who receive services through special education, but it's um, it's a separate situation. Um, and that's why uh, we're moving away from using limited English proficiency because it's not knowing a second language is not mm. limiting in any mm. sense. Right. <laughs> um, they are English learners. I love that you uh, just said but that. But they're yeah. they're not limited. So yes. then that's why we're trying to get away from LEP, even though that was used for so many years. So it's still in the it's in, it's teach, a code. in the teaching we have so mm. many acronyms. Yes, it's an you acronym do. <laughs> that we b we use for a long time. So it's still there. Uh -huh. But we're trying to do as much one. as we can to ensure that that's not being used anymore mm -hmm. um yeah so, so kind of backpacking on that the students with lep even though we mm -hmm. don't use yes. that anymore um <laughs> are they required to take state assessments in english because just like you said you know it's it's, it's really just it's not that they don't know those things right. it's just that they're learning english so, so how do they do that again because we live in texas and it's the beautiful state of texas we have both assess all the assessments are in spanish and english so all okay. the state sta uh, star tests are in spanish and english so we're not testing to see if they know english or right. reading we're testing to see if they know they comprehended our state standards okay. so that's why they, ha they have the ability to take the test in either spanish or english depending on how well they have acquired English by the time they get to third grade. And we, we even have students who will take, say, the math uh, star test in English and they're reading in Spanish. So right. we mm -hmm. make individual decisions for individual That's students. That's what I was going to ask. Yeah. How do you decide which test gets to be that? Does the teacher decide or does the student decide who's more com what they're more comfortable with? The teacher along with our LPAC um, committee. committee. So we every campus has to have an LPAC committee. What does um, that stand for? Oh, language sorry. proficiency <laughs> acronyms <laughs> language proficiency what's the a and then cs committee blank. never mind it probably doesn't matter <laughs> no, it, it, oh, does. it does <laughs> the people in mansfield are listening i know they really know I language proficiency assist no accountability <laughs> committee 
Oh my goodness! <laughs> I didn't mean to derail you. We are you. just embarrassed oh my now. Okay. I'm sure it will come to you. Will back to the uh, question. <laughs> no, but LPAC is huge. LPAC is what drives all all of our decisions decision for our LEP students. Um, so the teacher is part of that committee, and as a committee. A, a teacher administrator um, there's an LPAC chair and a parent uh, member makes those then decides whether this is by data whether the student is able to take this test in Spanish or in English so it is individualized by student mm -hmm. it's a long process that our teachers have to to be part of um, to ensure that the students are going to be success because at the end it's always about student success mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so moving on to bilingual education what exactly is it we talked a little bit about uh, you know you're learning in both of the languages so what is the goal of bilingual education bilingualism bicultural and um, biliteracy, biliteracy. Um, not only able to speak because a lot of people can speak Spanish or a second language mm -hmm. but are you able to write are you able to read it are you able to comprehend it and that's where their value comes and also to be able to to appreciate like I was speaking to earlier having that lens to value a s cultural uh, the, I think the biggest piece from our program and again, I'm speaking from Mansfield's perspective, is that our students are learning different cultures and appreciating those differences. And that's the biggest thing that as a parent you can give your student. Because again, we're living in a world where um, it's just through a camera and you can reach another country mm -hmm. and appreciating those differences. Yeah. And if you can teach that to a five-year-old, just imagine what our world could be yes. you know so um, that's one of the biggest pieces so those three there's three pillars is bicultural but bi being bicultural biliterate and, and um bilingual <laughs> <laughs> i think that that's such a big thing that a lot of parents i know when i went into the program i didn't i wasn't aware that it was a cultural thing as well i thought oh well, they're just learning spanish but some of these teachers are coming from places like Spain or they're yes. coming from Puerto Rico and they're bringing that culture and they're teaching their students. This is how things are done here. Mm -hmm. um, I know that I spoke briefly to Danita about it, that America is a high context culture, whereas most Latin countries are a lower context culture. And so things are so much different there. Um, I know America is kind of viewed as very yeah. abrasive. And so for them to learn, okay, this isn't just the language, this is this is how we do things, then they're able to better communicate in business or yes. when they're speaking to somebody from somewhere else. So that's wonderful. If you think about something even as, like when we were growing up in school and we had sort of, you know, Christmas celebrations around the world, um, those kinds of things, those winter sorts of holidays, now we're bringing it to the person so the teacher the students are saying oh in Honduras mm. this is what we do to celebrate yeah. mm -hmm. or um, and, and bringing in those just very personal connections and I think that that is as children are growing up in that environment there isn't this separateness yeah. anymore it's very yeah. global it's um, that that multiculturalism is daily it's that is that is what they're growing up. That's the air they're breathing. Mm -hmm. And that's really beautiful. And, and um, my daughter is in the bilingual program. And so her teacher's Puerto Rican. And she came the other day and she's like, um, I want to, me das una china. And uh, I was like, oh, I, what, what is that? You know, uh, I'm from Mexico. And um, I had to Google it. And a china in Puerto Rico is a, a orange because they're, and oh. so it's, 
things like that yeah. that she is learning to value. And again, it's being able to communicate with different because even in the Hispanic culture and the Spanish yeah. vocabulary is different, different from country yes. to country. But her already at five and uh, being able to value the little teeny tiny vocabulary from a different country, it's what I want and yeah, what right. as parents we would want our students to see. You know, it's so interesting you should say that because I know at IL Texas they have some students that are, not students, um, teachers yes. that are from Mexico and some that are from Spain. Yes. So are they able to incorporate just the differences in countries? Um, so yeah. I do know with our experience, our oldest son, he's in fourth grade. So we've been there five years with him. And um, one of his first teachers in first grade was Puerto Rican. And so the way that she said, I believe, car was mm -hmm. completely different yes. than his teacher from Spain. And so when they were going over vocabulary, they, he taught him the other word. And he's like, I don't know which one it is. And I was like, it's just use one of them. We'll figure it out. It's okay. <laughs> It'll come in handy at one point. I promise. Yes. The thing is that, you know, that there's... Um, and it'll be, it might be in a conversation or it might be in a in passage, a in a mm -hmm. book, mm -hmm. um, but it'll be there already. Yes. And just having that exposure, it, yes. it, it's, I mean. Invaluable. Yes. It's priceless. It is so valuable. And I, I've talked before about how we just live in such a bubble mm -hmm. and we just basically understand that people that look, people we basically understand people that look like us. And what a valuable thing to be able to understand the culture of multiple yes, countries yeah. and places and backgrounds um, and just in helping to make the world a better place. That sounded so like and, from and um, <laughs> Miss America. <laughs> <laughs> Peace on earth. Go ahead and practice your way of Danita. Just <laughs> <laughs> I know you don't want to sound so corny or cliche, uh -huh. but it's what but we want for our children, it is. for our world. You know, it's, it's what you want. Mm -hmm. You want to make sure that what we're giving our students is for them to have a better future yeah, right. and a better life. Yeah. And, and, and I know it sounds very, you know, I'm going to start crying, yeah. but it that's that's the, what we want to say. That's what it's you want. It's true, though. Yeah, we actually did a whole um, show about... Um, helping our children value differences. Mm -hmm. So if you're listening, go ahead and go back. We, we shared some great information with um, um, a woman who works at a school in Dallas, and she's in charge of diversity and inclusion. So um, go check that out if you get a chance. So tell us what are the different types of bilingual programs? So there are several different types. Um, there there are traditional bilingual programs, probably what, what most people think of, and that would be more of a transitional program. So students are coming in being um, dominant in Spanish, let's say, and we're really trying to get them fluent in English and send them on their way. And that those programs are not... Um, as valued anymore. Um, so what we have in Mansfield, which is really sort of the way most, most districts are going, and the research bears this out, is a one-way or a two-way dual language program. And bilingual education and dual language, it's the same thing. There's an interchangeable. And so a one-way program would be where students who are Spanish dominant, their L1, their first language is Spanish, are, are put into a classroom and the instruction for instance, in Mansfield, it's 50-50. So, for instance, a first grade student might have uh, two weeks of all of their reading language arts is in English, and then math and science are in Spanish, and then we flip-flop. So the next two weeks, the math and science would be in Spanish, and so they're learning simultaneously those two languages within content. Mm -hmm. And so that's a one-way program. 
And then a two-way program is where we are putting uh, Spanish dominant or Spanish L1 with English mm -hmm. dominant L1 students, and they're learning together. And we try to keep the classes about 50-50, you know, 50 English, 50 Spanish. And then um, same thing. They're learning content in both languages and alternating by week or by every two weeks, depending on the grade level. Mm -hmm. When is the best time to start a dual language program? Can you get, can you just jump into a dual language program in third or fourth grade and be successful? I, I, I never <laughs> like to say no, yeah. because I think if you had the supports, you know, anything is possible. However, that would be incredibly difficult for a student to jump in in third or fourth grade. Mm -hmm. By then, the rigor of the language, the rigor of the content, coming in with none, none of that second language right. skills, um, would be immensely difficult. Mm -hmm. um, we don't recommend. No. We would not <laughs> recommend that um, just because, you know, you're past learning to read. You're already, you Reading know, to learn. Read, yes. uh, you're not learning to read. You're reading to learn. Right. And so... That it would just be immensely difficult. Uh, so I would say the best age would be as early as possible, right? That pre-K, right. kinder, right. first grade, yeah. that time period would be the best. Right. Okay. Um, so what type of student is ideal for a dual language program then, I guess? Are you talking about a two-way program or a one-way? Because any Either. child. For both, yeah. So the one-way program, any child that uh, has a home language survey of Spanish, um, they're going to be ideal for that because they're coming in with some of that foundational Spanish and we're, we're going to be building that English mm -hmm. simultaneously. Uh, for a two-way program, um, what kind of child? That's and parent. And parent. Yeah. Because we're, we're supporting them from home. True. Absolutely. So I think um, for the two-way program, I think a student who, I mean, my goodness, I know we, th that's a hard because we, we, we take them when they're yeah. kindergarten. So, yes. I mean, obviously you have to know your child. So I would say that this is what we tell parents because in Mansfield we have uh, informational sessions mm -hmm. in the spring every time that, um, because we run in a lottery process for those students that, um, that are non-Spanish speaking students into mm -hmm. the program. Um, we tell them that you know your student best know that this is not a GT program because this is a program meant for bilingual students that now our monolingual students are able to go in to benefit from mm -hmm. the program. Um, it's going to be challenging. So mm -hmm. know that you're going to teach your child to be resilient because it's not going to be easy. You're going to mm -hmm. have nights where, or day mornings where the baby's going to be crying and not wanting to yes. come to. I don't know. <laughs> I've been there. I've seen <laughs> it. I've seen it happen. To class because that teacher, all I hear is, and, you know. <laughs> I don't know what she's I saying. I don't know what she's saying. Um, and it's going to, but that resiliency, it's going to take you years to build, but at first it's going to be until November-ish, and then it'll stop. Right. Um, and we, so you have to know your student. You have to know that um, not to give up. Mm -hmm. um, you have to know that obviously, if they know their alphabet and letters, then it would it's probably a step up. But that's it, any student really. Right. Um, somebody that's eager to learn. Mm -hmm. um, somebody that um, and a family unit that's that's uh, eager yes. for this uh, this program. Mm -hmm. So I think if a parent is not all in, there's going to be that tension at the beginning when things are so difficult yes. and mm -hmm. the child is 
thinking, where have I landed? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know? So uh, we want parents to know that it, it is it is challenging, but we want we want that commitment mm-hmm. to stick it out because the end result is is what you're looking for. Um, and you know, it, we want we want parents that understand too for our two way program. You know, language takes four to five years yes. to develop. Mm-hmm. That's so your good. your child is not going to come home in kindergarten fluently speaking. They'll know words. They'll know phrases. They'll understand before they can speak. Um, and so that language development takes a while. What we're what we're kind of seeing now is. Um, for instance, I had a parent let me know. She said, I, I just had my first two-way dual language, you know, crying moment of beauty because her child was in her room playing, was playing school. She was the teacher, and all of her stuffed animals were speaking Spanish, and she, as the teacher, was speaking Spanish to them. Aww. And she said that was really, and it was really at the end of the summer. And so she said this, it's taken kindergarten, first grade, between first and second, to, for her to really own that language right. and to, you know, to feel like she has enough of it to play independently with it. And that's nice. that's beautiful right but that's second grade so that's two years in and um, the rigor of content the rigor of language is going to continue to rise and our teachers are there to support it so that's it takes a little while with you being a parent that also had your children enrolled in um, a trilingual school I'm sure you probably saw your kids come home I know I did when my boys are like mom I just don't understand I just need mm-hmm. to go to the bathroom and I don't know how to ask in Spanish <laughs> yeah. I'm like it's okay just ask in English and if she asks you to repeat it in Spanish then just do it and it's okay but I know as someone that doesn't speak Spanish which my boys have my husband who is fluent um, but usually it's me that's at home helping with homework. Right. And so how you said that, you know, you need the help of the whole family. How do parents like us who are learning Spanish or who don't speak Spanish at all, how do we help our kids in these kinds of programs? How do we be a good support system for them and not just, you know, go straight to Google Translate either? Right, because they would come home with full worksheets of complete Spanish and I was overwhelmed for Mm -hmm. them. I was overwhelmed for me. I was overwhelmed (laughs) for them. And just, I just had no idea what to do some nights. And I would end up going onto Facebook and saying, hey, (laughs) what does this say? Before I even touch or let Mm -hmm. Debbie address that, I just wanted to have a moment here to say that that's how all of our bilingual parents have felt since 19. That's Sixty-eight, so probably good. before that, because when I wrote the notes, no. I was like, "Well, that's that's <laughs> all of the parents <laughs> mm-hmm. that I was teaching, you know, growing." Um, yeah, all as of our teacher. parents that are not—they um, have not been part of this right. world—have um, felt forever because mm-hmm. after second grade is usually the time where parents start having difficulty helping their student with homework because in kinder and first grade it's usually letters and just simple addition, subtraction. You know, but when it starts to get to word problems or reading passages, the demands of the language really increase. It's it harder. Um, we tell our parents to want to have a great connection with a teacher because that's going to be your person who right. will support you. Typically, homework is given that it's a review, so then our students are more successful. We're not sending home things that they're going to be struggling because if they're struggling at home and you can't support them. Mm, that's not failing. really homework mm-hmm. yes mm-hmm. we're failing there um, so that would be something that you guys as t- uh, I would recommend that uh, parents communicate that with teachers because we want to make sure that all of our students are successful even outside home and I was going to add in Mansfield at least our focus is on the L1 so mm-hmm. our English dominant mm-hmm. students 
uh, we are focused on getting them to grade level in English. And the Spanish is sort of marinating there on the side. They will have assignments, they will be learning, the, the structure of their day doesn't change. But we are really hyper-focused on that primary language because there's transference, right? So mm -hmm. once you know it in your primary, you can transfer it over to your second. Yes. And likewise, with our Spanish-dominant students, we are hyper-focused on getting them to grade level because, again, those skills will transfer. Um, another thing that we do in Mansfield, at least, and, I'm, and I think some of the other districts around do the same thing, we have parent meetings for our two-way dual language parents. So um, in September, I met with our two-way campuses and invited all the kindergarten parents for two-way. We had our Spanish dominant parents and our English, and we gave them resources. We talked to them about um, labeling things in their home. So I mm -hmm. gave them mm -hmm. so labels smart. in English and Spanish that they could put on the refrigeradora, um, la puerta, la silla, just so that those words are, you know, what does it take 200 times to see a word to become a sight mm -hmm. word, something like that. So those words huh. are up and around all the time. Don't quote me on that, but I think that that's accurate. I'm learning Sounds so good. much. So uh, we gave them labels. We, uh, we talked to them about just simple supports at home, even apps. Uh, like Dino Lingo, Dino Lingo. I can never say. I, no, it's not Duolingo. No. It's oh. Dino, Dino Lingo, Lingo. Okay. and it's very child, child, uh, childish. It's for children uh -huh. to learn a second language. Um, I wish I had brought a list of them, but anyway, um, even Sesamo, Sesamo is a is Sesame Street, but in Spanish. So those, okay, yeah. you know, for kindergarten, that's a perfect, that's a perfect app, um, and you know as as the the bilingualism sort of that wave catches you know even mansfield um library offers conversational spanish and conversational english uh, for parents so they can learn e how to support their child um is that free yes yes, yes wow. it is and i'm and i'm assuming i'm <laughs> they assuming have them here during the summer mm -hmm. too okay and then in the spring we'll offer the same sort of um, a parent meeting for first and second grade and my dream is to create uh, a summer take-home box with books that have been uh, read and recorded in English and Spanish, bilingual books, with centers. And, uh, you know, what we don't want is, is the child to be s spending five hours a day during the summer working on things. But we want to provide supports and, mm -hmm. and activities so that that language is continuing right. over those summer months. Because it, it is hard for a second grader leaving in June and not hearing any Spanish oh, yeah. over those mm -hmm. summer months. So we're going to be including, you know, what kind of camps might there be where Spanish is spoken? Mm. Um, those kinds of things for parents just to keep that language fresh. What about just watching movies and television mm. in Spanish? Sure. Captions. Yes. Mm. Turn on those captions. Mm -hmm. um, again, you want to make sure that the, the Spanish is um, not being forced mm -hmm. or not. This, I mean, I'm talking about the second language that is not being forced, that you're making it as... Um, easy to have that um, transition at home um, and I know that we can't say that this is this is the cure-all and this is how you need to um, uh, have this for your your child at home this is how you can help help them during for homework at least because there's really not a cure-all for that it's gonna be a struggle and the higher your student gets um, the <laughs> harder it's gonna get the you know once you get to fifth grade, it's oh my God, and, uh, yes, it's going to be hard. But a lot of hard. schools will offer sort of a homework hour or tutoring and those kinds of things. Oh, okay. And our dual language teachers are just, they're the biggest supports. Uh, so what are the requirements for becoming a dual language teacher? Really, it's certification. So you would have a degree, right? Mm -hmm. And then um, the, the state of Texas has its certification tests. And so there's, uh, I want to say there's like an oral 
part to it. There I took is. it like and a million years part. ago. Um, and then you would get your certification. The rigor for getting um, qualified bilingual teachers has gotten even more difficult. Okay. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, the agency, Texas Education Agency, went back to see how else can we get more. Are we making the test too hard? Because we have a lack of bilingual education bilingual educators in the whole state of texas mm -hmm. that's why we offer a stipend because mm -hmm. we want to we want teachers that are highly qualified mm -hmm. um highly qualified because just because you speak the spanish does not mean that you'll be uh, yes. a, a an effective right yes. teacher. that's why that's right that's why the test now includes a written portion and an oral portion because we want to make sure that the people that we have there as models for our students. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's the same thing. We want somebody that speaks English correctly in the classroom, <laughs> and can right? Read right, right, right. So that it's the same thing for the Spanish. We have to hold the same uh, equitable uh, requirements for the teachers. Right. So the state is who they. It's their test yes. that decides yes. who is highly qualified. Okay. Yes. I know that in some districts, when I was in Fort Worth, they had their own assessment on top of my mm -hmm. certification. So I had to go in and do another oral written reading assessment. That's and then, oh, sorry, uh, sorry I was going to say, as far as um, training teachers on best practices for dual language education, that comes back to us as the, the district. district. Mm -hmm. And so we provide those trainings for the teachers um, by doing a lot of research and by um, I mean, going to different conferences also and then coming back and disseminating that information. So to ensure that our teachers are up to par with what's happening around us, not just in the state of Texas, but also in other states that have dual language programs. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of options. Your school may offer a dual language program. We, we have people listening from all over the United States. Um, but there's also options in charter schools like you, sh you, you and I took advantage of and um, different schools that are immersion schools. How do you identify a quality program that's going to work? I think ultimately it boils down to instruction. Mm -hmm. um, you want highly qualified teachers who are great at uh, language acquisition strategies, understand sort of the theories, um, but it really boils down to that teacher-student relationship and that instructional piece. Or you could just move to Mansfield ISD, <laughs> you know, where I would be in Ohio. Do you know what's funny is I get phone calls and emails we from, do. from parents who are moving into Mansfield and they say, we'd like some information, we'd like to come we and talk to you. I met with two parents from the state of Washington oh, wow. for about two hours one morning going over our program and, and talking about it. So it is they, really... They research. Yeah. And, and it doesn't help, too, that, you know, we for two years in a row, we've had an A. <laughs> an A rating. Know? So, I mean, <laughs> man, There still. is that. <laughs> so if I'm in Poughkeepsie, <laughs> <laughs> what do I need to be looking mm. for if I'm wanting to get my child into a dual language program to make sure that I, it's going to be successful for them? You want to see when it starts. You mm -hmm. want to see how they... Uh, does it go through all the elementary grade level? Does it go through sixth grade? Does it go through fourth grade? Mm -hmm. What are the requirements to get into the program? You want to, if they have a lottery system or is it just a come and we serve everybody depending. I mean, it, it just depends if it's um, the um, capacity mm -hmm. for that district or that campus. Um, you want to see um, also, you might want to just start. Um, I don't want you to you know, start spying, but look <laughs> at their <laughs> website. Every campus, every district also has websites. Look at their website, see how they value. Do they have cultural, the cultural piece is That's something good. that you want to see if the campus or district has, mm -hmm. because you don't want to leave that out. And by culture also is not just looking to see if they have a uh, Hispanic 
month, you want to see what else do they bring into the table because culture is not just that, you know, that food party. Yeah. Um, tamales <laughs> on in the stand, the mariachi. And the mariachi, there's more to culture than just food. Um, I love it. <laughs> so you and I think you want to look at their program design yes. as well. And not only just looking at the, the program design, but asking the questions, how did you develop that? Why right. are you using this model? Why yes. are you not using this other model? So, you know, I think when you ask those questions, you can determine whether this is something that is research-based, um, something that is, we want everything to sort of be a living, breathing. You know, if 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 issues come up, are we in a growth mindset can we can we change and do what's best for students mm -hmm. or are we plugged into this one model and there is no wiggle room well that's not necessarily good for kids so i think you want to ask those questions and what supports too do they have for parents, parents. that's, good. that's um, a big that's one good. and how are they kept informed in communication throughout the year you know so both from the district level and from the the campus yes. level mm -hmm. for sure so how do schools that offer dual language programs ensure that academics performance doesn't suffer in their core subjects so like I said, in Mansfield, we are, we are very focused on that primary language and getting students to grade level and maintaining that. Um, so, you know, within the context, excuse me, of our dual language program, we, the, the other contents, when you're talking about math or science, they're, they're taught in both languages. Um, and so... We They're follow the same curriculum as a gen ed classroom. Yes. Okay. So because we're not... Um, They're not different we're not teaks. Yes. We're it's not all the same... It's all the same curriculum. So but when you don't understand the, like we were saying, our mm -hmm. kids were like, okay. okay, I don't know what she's saying. How do we make sure that they're still learning the things that they need to learn? They're learning, you know, so this is how many revolutions around the sun and whatever. So our teachers assess our students. And again, we only, we, I can only speak for what we do in Mansfield. So um, our teachers assess our students on the, on the language acquisition at different periods throughout the year. And that's communication that goes home and says, you know, this is how they're doing acquiring the second language. This is how they're doing in their native language. So they're graded on their native language because why are we, we're not grading them on the second language acquisition because they're just acquiring it. Right. right. So we're not going to be punitive and give them a grade at 30 just because you just know how to say hola. You know, so we're not doing that yet. But our teachers are constantly assessing whether it's through anecdotal noting or truly giving them assessments, um, an oral assessment to see how they're well progressing or not. Um, because we also want to make sure that we're being honest with parents. Again, it, it does take four to five years to learn, but it also takes seven years to master a language. Um, so that's why it's, it's best to have students in the primary grades learning. Yeah. And in, in Mansfield, we have our approach is very metalinguistic. We want students thinking about their language and, we, and the differences and the similarities right. between language. And so we have a piece called the bridge. And so let's say, for instance, in a first grade classroom, they've been doing math and science in English. Mm -hmm. And our Spanish dominant students maybe are still struggling with some of those concepts, those vocabulary words. What the teacher will do is to bridge that learning as they move on into the second, the other language. Um, and bring in those key concepts, those key vocabulary words, and bridge that language so that the, the learning is, is fluid. And they make those connections. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that students say, oh, I get it now, and they can move on. Um, so that, that bridging happens throughout, throughout the year, throughout the weeks, um, so that students are, are, 
are, are able to bring that, that new information perhaps in their second language and connect it to their first language or take it from their first language and then connect it to that second language. Mm-hmm. One question that I have, I know, so our boys go to a trilingual school mm-hmm. and so they're learning Spanish and English and Mandarin Chinese at the exact same time. And one of the things that we were told going into, I believe it was second grade, because that's really when they start truly learning how to read, was don't be worried if he learns to read slower than his peers that are a part of another school that are not a dual language school. So you guys said that you teach from the same curriculum, but have you, do you notice that things like reading take longer to learn since they're reading both languages at the same time? No. Um, when, if you look at a reading block, let's say a first grade classroom or a second grade classroom, and they do a reading block, that teacher is going to be pulling those individual students for that small group guided reading in their primary language. Mm-hmm. So yes, they will be reading in their second language and working with their second language. But we are bolstering. We are. We are. Um, What's the, the English word? Apoyando. <laughs> 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 We're, support, We're supporting, supporting that primary language so that they maintain that grade level uh, success. And since we're tracking our students, because I was part of even, um, we give them a DRA, which is a reading assessments. We make sure that they're reading on level on at, at, in both languages. Okay. Um, if they start falling behind, then we have interventions for them mm-hmm. and then we start supporting nice. them. Um, from what I, from all the data that I have collected in the past three years from our program, our students are reading right there on Even both Stephen. languages, mm-hmm. wow. and they still um, are with our with our most recent yes. ICEP data. They're they're neck and neck. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, this, me now stepping into a mother's role. My daughter is reading probably better in Spanish than she is in English, and um, so no, they don't. We if haven't anything, seen that. If, yeah, if anything, it actually it starts pulling it right along the other language. And we're not formally assessing that second language with something like an I-Station or a DRA. We're, we're really assessing that, that primary oral language. Oral proficiency. But we do first. assess oral proficiency at the mid-year and the end-year point for that second language. Okay. Um, to see sort of how they're moving through it. Um, but the uh, formal assessments are gonna be in their primary language. Just for a little clarification, I know at the school that we had our boys, they weren't learning kind of the basics of the language. They were learning math, learning Spanish, or they were learning math in Spanish, yes. science in Spanish. They didn't have a class like you and I had in high school. I guess right. you took Spanish. I took Spanish. I'm taking Spanish now. Taking Spanish now, right. <laughs> <laughs> where you're learning to conjugate the verbs and do all of those things. Those Is that the same uh, where you are? Or are they actually no. learning a Spanish? They're learning the language, learning yes. how to They're learning those do all the phonetic components, okay. grammar, all of that is, is being taught in both languages. And okay. then that social piece, which is that language of having to conjugate, just happens naturally because it's the teacher communicating with the mm. students. And then they have a peer that also speaks Spanish the bilingual in there, pair. the bilingual pair. Mm-hmm. Um, that models that language. We're not trying to focus on how to say, yo tengo, el tiene, nosotros tenemos, you know, that all the, that happens in a Spanish class, because we're not really teaching them Spanish, we're teaching them in Spanish. Right. So those pieces come along. That's the beauty of the dual language program and having teachers who know how to do this, is that that piece comes very naturally 
and it does take time but mm-hmm. you will see it slowly you know for sure i always tell parents that you know the first year don't expect your student to be ordering for you when you go to <laughs> on the border no. you know it but you know in a couple of years you'll start seeing them putting two three sentences together or they're able to communicate very socially with other peers uh and that that conjugation because when you speak that second language that you don't sit there and say yo tengo tu tienes el it, it's a natural process and that's what we want for our students for them to be able to speak that way mm-hmm. in a second language without hesitation is acquisition of the language faster in a true immersion program for instance if you went to spain and lived with a spanish family and they spoke only spanish to you and you learned only in spanish because you said in a dual language program it takes three to seven years basically to learn four to five years to learn a language seven to become master master level right so would it would it be faster you know i i can't speak to that because i haven't looked at the research of an immersion but the models that we have seen for a immersion program would be like a 90 10 model where 90 percent of the time is in spanish Spanish. Hmm. my again i'm just that would be an assumption that Yes, it would be faster for students, especially because your surroundings would be in that language. That's mm-hmm. one of the things that here in Texas is harder for students to acquire that second language because the Spanish only occurs in the it's classroom. Cool. Right. Then you step outside the, cl- the school environment and everything from signage to menus to it's all in English. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it, 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 uh, it would be probably faster because... You know, ninety percent would be everywhere, mm-hmm. except in the in the opposite way. If you were to live in Spain or another country that right. speaks in Spanish only, that was the thing that I didn't understand. I was like, I'm not sure how they actually acquire this the the language because we can't speak it at home in any way. Um, we did take advantage of the Spanish channels and mm-hmm. letting them watch that and letting them watch Sesame Street and in Spanish as well. But um, I was just wondering about that. I do have some friends who had their kids and isn't it, have you heard of the Spanish Schoolhouse? Isn't that yes, immersion? And That's and is that here in Arlington, correct? Mm-hmm. I think it's in Arlington. Yes. Yeah, I think that's a true immersion program. Yeah. So just giving parents just different op- options sure. and things to think about um, when they're considering the different options and which one is going to make the most sense for them and their family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There are a lot of different different uh, ways to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know in Arlington they have a campus that I I want to say does French. Oh, oh wow. um, and Chinese, mm-hmm. and then Keller has uh, Vietnamese, a Vietnamese dual language. language. So, wow. yeah. All right. Well, thank you guys so much. Yeah. This was uh, very valuable information, and thanks, Amanda, for joining yes. me today. I've learned so much from from all of you today. I know, right? Um, so, I, I do want to tell them um, we are going to put the resources that you guys mentioned on the website. So, I'll get that from you guys. Um, those will be on schooldays.com. And can you also tell them what the name of your podcast is again and how we can find you? Yes, it is 30 Something Mom in College, and it is available on iTunes and my main platform, Spreaker. All right. Yeah. So, we always want to let you guys know what's going on with Noggin Educational foundation school days is sponsored by noggin educational foundation so if you happen to be in the dfw air 
port. I was going to say the airport. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I blame it on the here. new glasses. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Let's try that again. If you happen to be in the DFW area and would like to lend us a hand, we would love for you guys to join us. We're in the process of getting a jump on organizing activities for our summer math and reading program. And we welcome students who want to uh, get some of those volunteer hours in before the semester is over. So drop me a line at Danita at Noggin Foundation. That's D-O-N-E-D-A. And whether you're in the Dallas-Fort Worth area or not, there are plenty of ways that you can help us by donating your time. Head to NogginFoundation.org and explore all the ways you can volunteer with Noggin Educational Foundation. And I also wanted to mention that Noggin's Brainiac program, my husband and I became monthly donors, which Noggin calls Brainiacs, about two years ago. And we decided to do this because we are donating to such a great cause. Noggin helps children that come from uh, underprivileged backgrounds, and they offer tutoring and different kinds of summer programs because they truly want students to succeed. Um, so I encourage you to join us in supporting what Noggin is doing. Any amount a month can make a big difference. Head over to NogginFoundation.org and click on the Donate Now button or click on Ways to Give to find out about the Brainiac program and all of the other ways that you can give to Noggin. And if I haven't thanked you lately, thank you for being a monthly donor. <laughs> yes, we appreciate you. So next week on School Days, we'll sk- sit down with licensed professional counselor, supervisor, Alicia Woodall. You know, no two kids alike, and especially in my house. Um, to, no two kids are alike, and especially in my house, these dang readers. <laughs> we, parents, we parents are their chief motivators by knowing how to inspire them, and that can be challenging. So Alicia will share with us how to motivate different personalities. So don't forget to share that with your parent friends. Uh, And as always, head to our website, schooldayshow.com, for more information and um, about all the resources that we shared here and um, everything that we mentioned during school days. Remember, you don't ever have to miss this show. Find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, and pretty much anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Noggin Foundation. That's N-O-G-G-I-N. And last but not least, we always want to end the show by saying that David and I are parenting by grace. We depend on God to give us the strength and the wisdom that we need to help our kids become flourishing adults. And if you'd like to know more about that, please feel free to drop me a line at info at schooldazedshow.com. School Dazed is sponsored by Noggin Educational Foundation. At Noggin, we provide free educational resources to students from low-income families and support to their parents like the preceding broadcast. School Days is made possible by the generosity of listeners just like you. Please consider donating to Noggin at Noggin, N-O-G-G-I-N, foundation.org.